I'm going to uh, encourage you uh, to do a couple things. The first is I strongly invite you to be part of our annual meeting this evening. I want to share some things about what God has been doing in my life. We're going to talk a little bit about what uh, we see God doing in our ministry this next year. And I actually want to talk a little bit about where um, we see God directing and leading Hillcrest, even over the next five years. And so I would encourage you to come to that. Uh, you may have some questions. You may be able to give us greater perspective on it. Certainly there will be uh, ample room for you to be praying for us and with us as we move ahead with those things. So that's the first invitation. The second is this. I would encourage you to um, begin, if you don't already, bring a notebook, pencil, something like that, uh, that you can take notes. I am really excited about where we're headed with some things, not only in this series on marriage as we move forward, but as we look at James and, and walk into that. And in some of our small groups, uh, you'll be studying James together as well too. But our intention is this, is that we would hear God's word and uh, that we would apply God's word with others and we would do it over time. That's how God works. We apply God's word with others over time and we see God grow things in our lives that weren't there before. So my desire is to be able to give you some clarity in regards to parts of God's word, word, some questions to walk out with, and some opportunity to be able to dig deeper into God's word as we're studying it. So we're beginning here this morning with this series entitled, Why Not? Would you pray with me as we begin? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And, and, and you have said that it is living and active and more powerful than a double-edged sword that it pierces in and it does surgery on our hearts. And Lord, there are many of us in this room that know that's true because you've done it over and over again with your word. And we marvel at what you do with an ancient book that is living and active in that way. And so God, I pray that you would, you would soften our hearts and our minds. You would give us clarity we need because you brought us here this morning, Lord. Please show us why we're together. We might be able to walk out of here with clarity as far as what it means to be uh, your followers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I've had the opportunity, Beth and I actually went to a wedding last night, and I was involved in a wedding a couple of weeks ago. Have you been through the aisle on wedding cards lately? I mean, they're just all over the place. And the general theme of the wedding cards as you pick them off is one, they cost a whole lot more than they used to, that's for sure. But the other part of it is, is there are things like this. You know, I wish you well. I wish you every happiness. That's basically it, isn't it? We want to say something where we say to the person, I wish you every happiness. And then you go to those romantic films and you see people fall in love in these beautiful weddings and, and there, are these, there are these words like, there's one in an old movie and it just melts the heart where I think the woman says to the man, you complete me. Oh my goodness. You know, even Stoic Scandinavians feel just a little bit of warmth in the heart when something <laughs> like that is said along the way. And these expressions, I wish you every happiness or you completely, completely me, they just roll off the tongue with such ease and actually warmth. It's hard to believe um, that we won't be able to find a Bible verse to confirm those things are true. That that's actually what marriage is all about. That this is what it means to tie the knot. The person has every happiness. 
where the person finally finds another person in their life that completes them. And we'll look for Bible verses so we can actually attribute this to God's plan for what marriage is like and what it means to tie the knot. But think about that equation, actually. It is, it is this. One plus one equals happiness. And it's got to be the right other one, right? One plus one equals completeness. And you put that together in a math formula, and then you look around uh, our world, actually in the United States now, there are more adults that are single than are married right now. It's just happened recently. There are more adults that are single that are married right now. And so we ask, what about over 50% of the adult population? What does it mean to them for one plus one to equal happiness? One plus one to equal completeness. You know, what, 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 what is going on? And, and then for people to actually vote on that thought and decide, nope, not going to go there myself. In fact, if, if one plus one is supposed to mean happiness, why in the world are there so m- many unhappy one plus ones? What did God intend when he talks about marriage? What in the world was it supposed to be about? Have we got it somehow distorted in some way that we as people who want to follow Jesus need to take a more careful look and just explore what is there? I want to talk about one aspect of that this morning and a couple more. If you got the email, you can see where we're headed in regards to that. But I want to say just a couple of things. And the first one is universal for everyone. And I trust that this is universal, what we're talking about for every one of us. That's the way I want to uh, 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 talk about it this morning and the next couple of weeks. But the first point we need to pay attention to is this, is God has given us, all of us, the gift of stewardship. That's what we just read about in the text, actually, to, to steward creation. He doesn't give it to us so that we own it. Here is, you get to have it, it's all yours, you own it. He gives it to us so we actually get to steward it. He gives us actually a job. Back in 2005, there was a, a television program. I don't know how long it lasted, but a guy named Mike Rowe um, was the person who engaged in all of these things called dirty jobs. You know, and one week it was the roadkill collector. You know, imagine that as your job. There it is. You get to be the roadkill collector for the state of Arizona. Uh, or a zoo cage cleaner. You know, there are all of these lousy occupations, and we see in Genesis 1, God actually gives us the best occupation possible, stewardship. In fact, he customizes it for each one of us. He takes your personalities, your personality, your passion, your relationships, your mind, your life, and he customizes your occupation in such a way that you actually can be in this world a steward of what God has made. And it's your gift. This is the gift God gives you. You get to be a steward 
of this magnificent world that he has created to make the world a better and more fruitful place. That's what he's telling to you. I'm going to give you the opportunity to have as your occupation making the world a better and more fruitful place. He creates it, and as we've discovered in the gospel, God is good and beautiful, and uh, he evidenced that in the world he created. It is a good and beautiful place. So God creates the world good and beautiful, and then he gives us this occupation, and he is essentially saying here, so continue the work I have done. That's what stewardship is. Here's the gift. I've created something good and beautiful because it resonates with all of the character of who I am. Now here, now you do with your life, your personality, your passions, now you do something good and beautiful. God does it, creates it, and then he lets us join him in it. He made the world to benefit from us joining him in it. In fact, it's the way he made it, to benefit from continued cultivation. I mean, just think about this as a fruit tree. You know, you can see an apple tree, and it does fine. You know, they're growing out in the wild. It does fine. But guess what? If someone comes along and cultivates that apple tree, trims it, tends it, feeds it, cares for it, if somebody does that, that apple tree is substantially more fruitful. (laughs) That's the way he made the world. I mean, it's great. But you put somebody in there that continues to pay attention to it, and it becomes even more fruitful. So he's saying to you, I made it fruitful. Guess what? You get to make it more fruitful. And we just see it even in what he does with, uh, with uh, certain parts of his creation. And this is more than do multiplication, propagate more fruit. The fruit actually is an extension of his order and his goodness and his beauty. It is more than multiplying numbers. He gives that commission to the creatures in 122. But then when he talks about humankind, he uses words like subdue and rule over it. These two words together actually suggest more than propagation in numbers, and the rule is more than governmental power. I'm going to tell you what to do. These words all joined together suggests uh, uh, that God gives us a responsibility for the betterment of a world, for the betterment of animals, for the betterment of society, for the betterment of the world, for the betterment of your family, for the betterment of your neighbors, for the betterment of our city. That's what he's actually inviting us into. I started it. I made it. You get to continue in this role of stewardship. And so God talks about this. We see it actually in chapter 1, verse 26. God says, let us make humanity in our own image so that they can rule. And he rules. We see how he rules. He rules with compassion. God rules with creativity. He rules uh, 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 bringing beauty and justice and generous good. When he rules humanity, the whole world looks at what he has done and they say it is good. When he gives that rule to us, the world around us looks at what we're doing and if we're reflecting God, they will say it is 
good. It is good. It is good. I have to tell you, when um, my parents would say that they were going to be gone for the evening, and we had four kids, I had an older sister, Jody, you know what my biggest fear was? That my folks would say, and Jody's going to be in charge. Because I had no confidence that she would rule in a way that would be good for me or anyone else. Your sister is in charge, now listen to her, and just the fear would well up inside me. And the question was this, is she going to do what she wants to do? Yes. When she knows she ought to do what mom and dad want her to do, right? And the reason why I was so fearful that Jody would do what she wanted to do is because I knew that if I were in charge, I would do what I wanted to do. God puts us in charge of the world, not so we will do what we want to do. But so we will do what God wants to have done. This is a vital part of God's plan that we would actually be a part of his values and his goals. Now, how in the world are we going to make sure that we do what God wants to have done rather than do what I want to have done? Well, God's plan was this. He would actually live in us. That's how it would happen. That our fruitfulness would come because we've died to self and made alive to him. In fact, Jesus said the word, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it won't bear much fruit. So if my goal and God's goal for us is to be fruitful, step one is we die. We surrender our lives to the Lord Jesus and we say, not my will or way. I'm, I need you. I trust you. I invite you to take control of my life. That's really what it means to be a Christian. To confess our own sinfulness, our own waywardness, our own independence, to give it up and to give our lives over to Jesus. That's where it starts. And then Jesus goes on in John chapter 15 to talk about I am the vine, you are the branches. And the only way we'll bear fruit is be by, by connected, by regularly being connected to the one who made us. So that's God's plan. That we would have lives characterized by a stewardship that results in fruitfulness. And it happens because people choose to die to self and to live in Christ. So we go on then here in this text, and, and oh, by the way, you know, people say, well, when God made the world, you know, he just made the world and he walked away. <laughs> no, he didn't. He made the world and then he gave it to us. And the world will say God never walked away because we're doing what he does. And God is present because God is present in his people. The second part of this is this, one flesh covenants are actually an extension of this stewardship. It's interesting, isn't it? At the end of chapter 2, if you're looking at your Bible, you'll see this almost a parenthetical comment about a man leaving his father and mother, united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And you say, what in the world does that have to do with creation? It's just kinda, it just kind of sticks out there. 
but it's attached to the other one, and it says this is why a man leaves. So it's not completely disconnected. There's a piece of this one flesh covenant relationship that ties in with everything that's gone on before it. How does it tie in? There is a link between marriage and stewardship. In fact, if you go back to chapter 2, verse 20, it refers to God providing to Adam a suitable helper. A helper for what? Well, guys need help. We know that. But, and there were more women that laughed about that than men right now. I just, just want to no, note that. So, but what is a helper? Well, there are three pieces of that word. One is it connotes connection, right? You're helping and so you're connected. It also connotes that there's a task that needs to be accomplished. And it also connotes a specific role. Well, we know something about the specific role, and that will actually help us with the task that this is all about. The specific role, helper, is actually a word that's even used for God. In the book of Psalms, over and over again, don't you read of God being the helper? Same word right here. So there's this a sense of what the role is. To be a helper is most often used to describe or identify what God does. This is not a secondary, weaker assistant. This person is going to sweep in, come alongside of man with power and with critical benefit and strength. Good thing. That's what God gives to humankind. Two strong, capable individuals that he will use for what? For the stewardship of his creation. That's what the helper is about. What does Adam need help with? the stewardship of creation, the fruitfulness of the world. Because that's what we're about. And so God has actually said, one of the means by which we will, uh, uh, humankind will allow fruitfulness to take place in the world is if men and women, a man and a woman, together join together and become more fruitful still in unique and remarkable ways. Marriage is a means of stewardship. This is a God-created social structure. Now, we know this. Cultures in different places and different times create their own social structures. China and the Soviet Union years ago played around with determining that children should, not be, should be raised actually apart from their parents. China came along with another uh, social structure, and they enforced a one-child policy. I mean, governments do this all the time. They decide how to create social structures. Governments have used the word marriage to describe family settings with multiple wives, and now our government's decided that it refers to any two people that want to establish a relational contract. I mean, all of those things are happening various times throughout history. But when we look at God's word, we see that scripture speaks of a one flesh covenant here between a man and a woman that actually has the possibility of fruitfulness. That there's something remarkable and unique and beneficial about it. So when the Bible uses the word marriage, it's reference to this, to this one flesh covenant between a man and a woman. And one of the reasons for that is that God wants to extend the character of who he is into the world and actually give us opportunity to be God-like. Not to be God, but to be made in the image of God. 
to be an extension of the role that God has had in creation. And he is a God of fruitfulness, and he allows us to join in that as well. And here's just one dimension of it, one practical example of it. God created, God had the joy of creating eternal beings. He did. He created Adam. He made an eternal being, and Eve, and he made an eternal being. Can you imagine making something that lives forever? And he said, that was so much fun. I'm going to let people do that. And he puts men and women together and gives them the opportunity to create eternal beings. Reflection of the image of God. You see, that's what God's doing. That's just one small example of it along the way. It's his, but it's his gift to humanity. Now, I want to say this as we go on. Marriage is not the only means of living a life of stewardship. It's an extension of stewardship. It's not the only means available. In fact, when we look at God's word, we see Paul speaking actually of the value of being single. And as you read his words, he's voting for singleness. He says it's, it's, you'd be better off. In certain circumstances, there's a value in it. Is he advocating incompleteness? Is he? Is he advocating some people won't be happy? He's talking about there are a number of ways for us to be stewards and to be fruitful in our life. And Paul speaks of the value of it. He conveys no sense that a person who's single is less than whole. None of that is there. So what's happened for us when we go there so quickly? Marriage is one whole uniting with one whole to become one new whole. W-H-O-L-E. This room is filled with whole people. Some of that wholeness is expressed in a marriage relationship, but every single person in this room is whole. And together with all of God's people and God's family, is complete. So we need to recognize that as well. And in Christian history, the Catholic Church is a remarkable history of those who chose singleness and had incredibly fruitful lives. We see it as well. John Stott, single man his whole life long. What an incredible gift to the church. Henrietta Mears, a woman who lived single her whole life long. You see, we need to remember that even when we talk about this whole issue of marriage. There are extraordinary gifts that have been given to many people that have lived incredibly productive lives. So marriage is a means of stewardship and fruitfulness, but living life as a human being surrendered to God is a means of stewardship and fruitfulness as well. But let me go on to the third point here, and it is this. Marriage was made to be measured by fruitfulness. That's what this text is letting us know. Marriage was made to be measured by fruitfulness. It's easy to limit fruitfulness to biological reproduction, and clearly that's a part of God's design uh, for marriage and what will be accomplished through it, that multiplication that is part of there. Be fruitful, multiply. But he's added all of these other words to it. 
He's shown pictures of what God is like and to name animals, to give them dignity and place and regard. There's this, there's this function in the greater creation that God has provided. There's much more that's implied here. To help each other reflect the nature and longings of God for the world. So that others will look at what we do with our lives and they will say it is good. It is good. The first miracle. Jesus changed water into wine. And it was done at a wedding. Isn't that interesting? Wine, uh, there's, there's symbolism and power in, in that, even in the context of this wedding feast and other places in Scripture. It points to joy and to celebration. And so he wants a marriage that is um, characterized by fruitfulness. Joy and celebration that comes because there was a vineyard that grew fruit. And wine is a product of fruitfulness. Which comes first, fruit or the joyful celebration? The fruit precedes the joyful celebration. God created one flesh relationships so that the husband and wife can be fruitful. And all of us will say about your relationship if you're married, oh, I'm so glad you are. Because what you do for others and for us, I look at it and I say, it is good. It is good. It is good. So even in a position of singleness, a person can say, I am so glad the two of you are one flesh. Because the fruitfulness that comes from that relationship is rich and joyous and helpful to me. You see, this is the point. Goodness, the goodness of marriage is not that you are happy. Fruitfulness, I can't even, I don't know a time where fruitfulness doesn't lead to happiness. It just does, doesn't it? But happiness leading to fruitfulness that's a perilous choice because there are so many rabbit trails a person can go on if they've decided, I want to be happy that have nothing to do with fruitfulness. If I decide I'm in this relationship to be happy, I can decide I'm not in this relationship because I'm not happy. Do you see what happens with our calibration and our measures and our decisions, over and over again, we misidentify the standard of marriage. And we say this, it just kind of comes off our tongue. I hope you're happy. Are you happy now? I know that's, that's a little bit like, how's the we- how are you doing? And everybody says, fine. So I know you're not going to go up instead of saying, are you happy? You're not going to just say, are you fruitful? But friends, there's got to be a moment in which we can talk to our friends who are married and we can somehow get to that question, right? Because otherwise, all we're conveying is the measure is happiness, are you? And the measure is not. 
the beginning point is fruitfulness. What does it mean for us to ask those kinds of questions? You know, or get married so you can be as happy as we are. Or I'm not going to get married. I don't want to be as unhappy as they are. I mean, think about all of these things. Okay, a test for you. I've got to wind this up. But this was in um, uh, uh, Christian Magazine, and it's had almost 10,000 shares. The title of it is, The Foundational Traits for Every Great Couple. And I'm going to just list them for you. And we're going to just determine whether this is a good article or not, right? Healthy communication. That's good. Same spiritual track. That's good. Basis of genuine friendship, that's good. Mutual understanding, yeah. Enduring physical attraction, that always helps. Alignment in character and integrity, and a willingness to commit to each other. That's it. Foundational traits of every great couple, 10,000 shares. What do you think? Where's the fruitfulness? Where's the core character trait and reason why God puts a man and a woman in a covenant enduring relationship. Do you see? And this is, this is a Christian magazine. And I'm not putting it up because I, every one of those things is really valuable. But I just want to encourage us to take another step forward and assess marriage in the way that God intended it to be so that we can all celebrate what God does in your life through it. It's, if, if it is fruitfulness, we will all celebrate your marri- marriage. Married people will celebrate other people's singleness because there's fruitfulness in singleness. And single people will celebrate others people, other people's marriage because there's fruitfulness in it. And then we turn around and we look like we're pretty much just the same, aren't we? We really are. The stuff that unites us together, that puts us together in community and family is is the core stuff. We get to be given the gift of stewardship that leads to fruitfulness. What does it look like? I was just trying to chart some of the things I've seen or we've noticed. When Beth and I would take our kids down and tutor at the rescue mission, kids that were just on the margins and struggling with all sorts of issues. You know, it was hard work getting, the, getting supper on the table and getting in the minivan and headed down there and, and uh, just kind of the chaos that was a part of it. But then we got to all five of us just engage in some of these kids and walk away and say, oh, that was good. That was so good. You know why it was? Because it was fruitful. There, there are couples that are getting together. I think it's a second grade Sunday school class. There's three couples that are doing it together. And they are just loving it. Talk to them about it. To be engaged in the lives of these, of these kids. Some of your kids. It's happening in first grade now. And Nicole is trying to help with a bunch of other leaders to cultivate more of that. Why? So that, so that people can engage in fruitful activities. There's fruitfulness in you telling hard stories 
of your marriage and the setbacks and the difficulties. You're, you're creating fruitfulness rather than false expectations of reality. For someone to say, wow, do you mean it's possible to stay together and to love each other even in circumstances like that? That is bearing fruit. To sit down with a couple in crisis, that's fruitfulness. It's taking a marriage and using it for the benefit of others. To be family with those who are singles, to involve them. There's an example in the Connect this just this week. International Students Incorporated, which we are involved in and supporting. There are a bunch of international students that are coming here from all over the world, and there's an opportunity, actually a really strong need because of a variety of factors, to connect and have people help with the setup so that these international students can have resources and to, to, to donate some of those resources to these international students who are trying to put together apartments. And then just with the logistics of vans and things like that. And guess what? You can do that and be fruitful this week. This is not an encouragement to busyness. God's encouragement is to fruitfulness. So what's the application? I've got several questions here I would just invite you to consider. The first is this. In what ways does God intend your marriage to be fruitful? To reflect God's goodness and beauty and cultivating it in those circumstances around us. Secondly, what's been harmed in our relationship because we've actually pursued happiness rather than fruitfulness? We just, we just kind of went off track and into the ditch and it became about happiness rather than fruitfulness. What's happened and what do we need to note? Third, could our unhappiness stem from our pursuit of happiness rather than fruitfulness? Fourth, do I need to reevaluate the reason why I resist marriage or the interest of that person? What if I actually looked at dating, engagement with other people from the perspective of, can I imagine us together being fruitful? Is the first question. Next, should we renew or revise those old vows in order to reinsert God's purposes in them? And last, it's a little bit like the first. If you created a list of ways God might uniquely use your marriage as fine wine poured out for the benefit of well-being of others, what would be on that list? That's what I encourage you to go home, ask God, what in the world was he saying to you this morning? A friend of mine, and he's an avid fisherman, I am not. And uh, we were out on his boat, and um, I was trying to put a, a lure on a piece of line. And he said, no, 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 Mark. Here's the knot that works. There is a knot, and it's a really fine knot. And it makes everything work much better. Why not the way God intended it to be? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and for this reminder.
God, I pray that you would now just cause my words um, that had no connection with what you wanted to say to just dissipate and be gone. But your word, Lord, I pray that would sink in deep to all of our hearts. And we would, we would be challenged and encouraged by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.